Today, we're looking at our, our first value, and it's really the value that holds up every other value, and it's called the gospel. Uh, the gospel message is basically this, that at all points in your life, God is always moving towards you. Other religions paint the picture of God as standing still and that God has given you an instruction manual on how to navigate the ninja warrior obstacle course to get to him. Or, or some religions even paint the picture of a God that moves away from you. But here's the message of the gospel that has the power to change every single thing about you. God is moving in your direction. Uh, when the Bible talks about Jesus and his arrival, God the Son arriving in the flesh, here's what it says in John 1, that uh, he came to his own. God came to his own people, even people who didn't receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be the children of God. Uh, I have a very simple goal today uh, through the story that we're going to walk through in Scripture is to see the first uh, value that we have a renaissance of the gospel and that you would get a taste of it for real and it would change your life. Uh, growing up, I hated steak, uh, not because of any ethical or health reasons. Um, I'm not that good of a dude, but the, every, the way I was raised, every time we would go out to Sizzla or something like that and get a steak, uh, my parents would order for me or whenever we had steak at my house, that joint was well, well. It's not even well done, it was well, well. If they saw a, 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 a little hint of pink, send it back in them, put that joint in the microwave for like 40 minutes. <laughs> and it would come out, and y'all know how this is, right? You go to Sizzler or something like that, and they got the A1 sauce on the table, because them well done steaks, you cannot eat those joints. It's like beef flavored chalk. You cannot even <laughs> cut through it. You get the butcher knife, the meat cleaver to cut it. And I didn't like steak. Even when we had it, it was never something that I got excited about because just the way it was prepared uh, wasn't how the chef recommends to say it like that. One day, while working at the Fountainhead, I was a waiter and I, and I, I did weddings and there was this big fancy schmancy wedding that they did and they had these filet mignons. Me and one of my buddies, we went in the back, uh, saw where the chef had put the extras, took the tray off of the plate and saw these two beautiful uh, steaks. Now, I was a completely broke teenager. I had spent all of my paycheck at Fordham Road copping some new Mecca jeans, which I know about the Mecca jeans. And I had a choice. I could either eat the steak or I'd be hungry for the rest of my shift. Cut into the steak, and I saw the juices oozing out, and I was like, I don't know. I don't know. It feels like I'm going against a family secret or something like that just to, to eat this. I took one bite of that joint. And it was one of those moments where you just close your eyes, it's so good. Close your eyes, put your head back, and that moment changed my life. I think that the Lamb of God that's perfectly prepared for us is meant to have that experience on our lives. For too many of us, your relationship with God is just like the stakes I had growing up. It's expensive and it's dry. The story that we're walking through today is about the perfectly prepared Lamb of God for us that is meant to give us a taste of what the real thing is, and more importantly, how we get that real thing flowing through our lives. The story uh, is about a man named Zacchaeus, and this story illustrates in a really powerful way uh, what the gospel is, and I hope it contradicts some of the way that you came in here thinking about God today. It's from the 19th chapter of the book of Luke, and it starts like this. It says, he entered Jericho and was passing through. Uh, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. 
he was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he, Jesus, was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up to Zacchaeus and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone into the, to be the guest of a man who was a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Lord, behold, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus is moving in the direction towards us. Now, in this story, we see three things, three really powerful things that each and every one of us, regardless of where you are in your journey, if this is the first time you're back in a long time and you're just re-engaging faith and you have a lot of questions about what it means to have a, a real relationship with Jesus, even if you've been a Christian for 20 years and, and, and maybe uh, you've experienced and maybe right now you're in a place where your relationship with Jesus feels dry, here are the three things that you need uh, to kickstart you, to, to motivate you into every single day, day by day, uh, move you in a direction towards God. You, need, you and I need to discover our need for Jesus. Uh, Jesus can't be one option out of 48. You and I need to move past the crowd. and We need to, we need to allow grace to change us. Discover our need, move past the crowd, and allow grace to change us. Uh, the first thing we see in the scripture is the need. Uh, Zacchaeus discovered his need for Jesus, where Jesus no longer was just something that would be a nice thing to add on to his life, but rather something that he desperately knew that he needed. Look at the first few verses again. It says, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. And this next part is one I want you to pay attention to. It says he was a chief tax collector and was rich. Essentially, what this means is he had a lot of social significance. He had bread. He had a lot of zeros in his count with the actual digit in front of it. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and did what? He climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. This is for all the adults, people over 16 years old. When's the last time you climbed something? It's been a long time. Maybe if you did the little rock climbing thing, you had a harness around your waist, but that doesn't count. I'm talking about you just climbed something where you could have fallen and thrown out your back um, in like 19 places. To climb something was not a dignified thing to do. Now, if you were to walk past a parade and see Mayor de Blasio climbing on the scaffolding like a 12-year-old, you would know that that's an undignified thing to do. In ancient culture, uh, where dignity and honor um, meant so much more than even our current, uh, our current time, for him to climb a tree was absolutely embarrassing. He wasn't climbing a tree because he wanted a better view. He was climbing a tree because he was absolutely desperate. Grown men don't just climb trees. Now, in life, there's a number of laws. There's a, the law of gravity, and there's also something called uh, the law of being a grown man. And being a grown man law, <laughs> it's a card that you can play, which is basically this. You can say this and get out of any situation. Yo, I'm a grown man. What do I look like doing that? Zacchaeus, if the scripture would have read, Zacchaeus saw Jesus, thought about climbing the tree, and then said to himself, 
yeah, I'm a grown man, dog. I ain't climbing no tree. We would all say, that makes sense. That's a, that's a, good, that's a good rational thought argument, thought process on how do you approach this. Uh, my brother and my cousins and I were going to, on, a, on a road trip in a couple of months to see some NBA, and we booked this amazing house that we're renting, has a rooftop, we ain't got no kids, it's gonna be, uh, we're gonna live it up. Uh, the one problem in this house, though, is that uh, there's four adults and three beds. One of us has to get in the couch. We were going through in the reasoning of who was gonna get the couch and who's gonna get the bed. My cousin, who's older, he's 40, he goes first, he says, yo, I'm a grown man, dog. I ain't, I, ain't getting on, I ain't getting on no couch. And we were all like, yeah, I mean, it kind of makes sense. We're not putting the 40-year-old with herniated discs on a couch. He got sciatica. We're not putting him on, <laughs> we're not putting him on the couch. My brother and I saw him cashing his grown man card, and I was like, oh, that's what we're doing? Yo, I'm a, yo, listen, I got two kids. I haven't slept by myself or through the night in like six months. Dog, I'm a grown man. I ain't sleeping on no couch. My cousin, who's in his 20s, no kids, guess where he's sleeping? On that couch. <laughs> Being a grown man is a perfectly good reason to not do a lot of things. <laughs> and Zacchaeus had a lot of great reasons to not climb up in that tree. Here's what this is meant to tell us in this story. He went against every natural inclination. He went against societal norms because Jesus, in this moment for him, was not just something that would be nice to hear about. He needed Jesus. Now, I think there was a couple of things going on in his mind and his heart that made him felt, feel like he needed Jesus for real, for real, and that Jesus was not going to be just an add-on to his life, but that he knew something in my life is missing. There's this dissatisfaction that's going on inside of him um, that was welling up that led him to go after Jesus in a really unconventional way for that time. Now, one of the things that's so convicting in my life is that for a lot of us, um, the biggest obstacle to you pursuing Jesus is not that you don't have enough time. I know when we first talk to each other, we talk about how busy we are and oh, I got this going on and I, I was traveling, I did this and this and I did this. That's not the real reason that we don't pursue Jesus. The real reason, the reason that you don't want to admit, the reason I don't want to admit is we don't feel like we need him. I heard a pastor once say this one thing, and this joint convicted the dog out of me. Uh, he says, one of the great uses of social, social media will be to prove that our prayerlessness was not from a lack of time. One of the great uses of social media on the last day when you and I are standing before God and he's looking at your Instagram story with like 19 dashes and you see how active you have been on social media will be to prove to us that our prayerlessness, our lack of pursuing God was not because you didn't have time. You had time for Twitter and Facebook and social media and Instagram. It's because we didn't feel like we have a need for Jesus. Now, this story is also meant to show us how you and I can recapture some of that need, where Jesus is not just one option among many, but we start to see, really, for, for our own personal lives, that we absolutely need him. So there's some things going on in his life that led him to this. The first is a practical thing, right? Uh, he's short, so he can't see over uh, the crowd, so he, he gets on the tree. But there's a spiritual thing going on in his life as well that I don't want us to miss. There's this void in his life. Now, for him to be a rich tax collector meant, uh, in Jericho, meant a number of things. One, uh, a tax collector was well off, so they had a lot of money. A chief tax collector was the guy at the top of the pyramid, so everybody else was paying up to him. 
A chief tax collector in Jericho, which was a bustling metropolis, meant that he was getting a piece of everything that was coming in and going out, which was a lot of stuff. So this dude, Zacchaeus, really had bread. And here's what this is meant to tell us. Some of the things in this world that you and I want, some of the things in this world that you and I think will make us happy, will still leave you with a void at the very end of it. You'll get to the other side of the rainbow and discover that there is no pot of gold. One of the best gifts that God can give you and give me is to allow you to actually have your dreams. All of the dreams that you've wanted, all of the things that you want to take place in your life, and then at the end of it to come and see that, there's not, that this thing still can't fulfill you. Years ago, before Renaissance started, uh, I remember talking to a number of pastors who had started churches that uh, could be termed as failed church plants, that they had all of the energy, all of the prayer, all of the people around them, and they started for a couple of weeks or months or maybe even a year, and then eventually something happened and they just went in reverse really quickly and the church died. They never hit this magical number that gave them enough internal strength to be their own supporting church. So I was absolutely terrified uh, that this would happen to Renaissance also. So in my brain, I kept on thinking about there is this magical number that once we hit this, man, I'm really going to feel confident. Like once we hit this number, man, it's going to be so great. I'm going to go home and I'm going to realize that we did it. We're gonna, uh, it's it's going to feel so good inside. And I'll never forget uh, one of the first times that we, had, we hit whatever that number was and I, I went home and I just felt empty. The next day at the office, I sat at my computer in the morning and I cried, not because I was grateful, but because the number, the thing that I thought was going to make me feel fulfilled, still left me feeling empty. In those moments where you get the thing that you thought was going to make you feel happy and you discover that that thing can't really fulfill you, that you can't lean the entirety of your weight on that, that is a gift and I hope that pushes you towards Jesus. Jim Carrey once said, and this is probably the last time I'll ever quote Jim Carrey from the pulpit. Jim Carrey once said, I think everyone should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that's not the answer. I pray your Instagram goes crazy. I hope your joint is bananas. I hope you get all the followers. I hope you have all the relationships. I hope you have everything, all the, the perfect job that you've always wanted. And none of these things are bad things. But I hope you get them just so you can realize at the end of the day, these things are not meant to fulfill you. Spiritually, Zacchaeus is showing us that all the money in the world, all the stature in the world, all the positions in the world cannot satisfy you in the way that you were created to be. Now, there's a spiritual thing going on inside of Zacchaeus, and then there's also a social thing going on inside of him, where Zacchaeus is starting to be uh, he's walking among a crowd full of people that don't like him. Now, it's very common for a tax collector who would have been stealing from Jewish people to give to the Roman government that the Jewish people would not be too kind to Zacchaeus. So when he first saw the crowd, he probably would have wanted to do everything to get away from them. Uh, he certainly would not have uh, had the favor of that crowd. Uh, they would not have let him through to, to the front of the parade. It would be like a dude on 125th Street with a MAGA hat walking up trying to get to the front of the parade like, nah, bro, you need to be five streets behind us. Zacchaeus was in a position where people would not have done him any favors. And I think something might have spiritually been going on inside of him just as a result of how people were talking to him. Maybe he started to realize that, listen, the way I've been defrauding people, man, maybe he started to feel guilty based on what other people were saying to him about who he was. Uh, there was 
something going on in his life where he started to maybe realize that what he had done all of these years was actually wrong. Now, you and I will get several opportunities in life where people will show us a mirror to ourselves, and not everybody who disagrees with you is a hater. People will show you who you really are, and the question and the answer, the decision you have to make is what are you going to do with what you see? Now, sometimes there are people in your life who are just overly critical, and they'll point out the wrong in anything, and I'm not saying you have to listen to everything everybody says, but there are moments, gifts from God, that he gives you that people in their displeasure with you and the way that you've gone sideways, those things are meant to push you towards Jesus to show you that you are, in fact, a sinner in need of grace. Uh, years ago, when I was in college, before I became a Christian, this is actually the thing that led to me becoming a Christian. Uh, I was uh, caught up in a situation with a young lady and found out that she had a boyfriend and he wasn't too kind and too happy that I was calling his girlfriend. And he called my dorm room and uh, uh, basically said a whole bunch of crazy things. And I remember sitting there thinking to myself, I can either let this go or I can tell my friends and take it to the next step. Not trying to be no chump, I told my friends what was going on. And 10 minutes later, we were packed up in two Mitsubishi Galants, uh, blasting Annie up, the remix. Uh, <laughs> my boys are drinking Alizé and... Uh, we got to the apartment. And I remember thinking the whole time, yo, this is a, this is a really terrible idea. <laughs> like, it felt okay at first, just like when I was poking my chest out a little bit, but like, this could go really wrong. These dudes are twisted. When they get to the crib, they're gonna drag this dude out the apartment and beat the snot out of him. We're gonna get arrested. I could get expelled from school. We got to the apartment, and thankfully, uh, he, saw, uh, he saw us, and they didn't, we tried to sneak in, and we didn't get in the apartment. And I remember that night like it was yesterday. This was the night that changed my life. Uh, the girl's mother called my dorm room crying, begging me not to harm her daughter. And I was like, ma'am, I was calling her ma'am. I said, ma'am, I am not the kind of guy that would harm your daughter. I mean, that's... What kind of dude do you think I am? And as those words were coming off the tongue, off of my tongue, I said, oh, I'm the guy that goes out with 10 of his drunk friends to drag somebody out of his apartment. That's what kind of man I am. In life, you will have moments where somebody else will see something inside of you that you would not, rather not see. And it was that night that I prayed for the first time in a long time, Lord, send me somebody that's going to help me get closer to you. Up to that point, I had gone years without having one real earnest prayer. But that night when I saw my need, not based off of what I saw in myself, but rather what someone else was telling me and they were showing me myself. You're going to have moments in life where someone will show you the mirror of you of, to your face of what you really look like. Not the Instagram selfie with the perfect lighting, but the real you. And in those moments, I hope and pray that you can say something like the psalmist said, Lord, search my heart. And see if there's any wicked way in me, and then please lead me in the way everlasting. Don't throw away those moments. Now, Zacchaeus is sensing this need in his life, and that need fueled him to search for Jesus and to go and do some things that were pretty unconventional uh, to do, which was to do something that felt and seemed kind of like a desperate act. Text continues, it says, he was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able because of the crowd, since he was a short man. So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus, since he was about to pass that way. 
Uh, the second thing that's so profound in this text is that the thing that stood in the way between Zacchaeus and Jesus was the crowd. And if you're going to have a life-giving relationship with Jesus, you're going to have to get past your crowd. There's a crowd that you're going to need to move past in order to really receive everything that Jesus wants for you in your life. The main thing keeping Zacchaeus from Jesus is the crowd. And I think the, the main thing that keeps us from seeing Jesus is one, probably our pride and our satisfaction in ourselves, but two, it's our own crowds. Your crowd might not be a bunch of people who are yelling at you. Your crowd might be people that you are afraid of losing their positive opinion of you. There are people, coworkers, friends, classmates, that you are afraid of them knowing how, uh, them knowing that you even come to church, them knowing your real relationship with Jesus, them knowing your real goals, because deep down inside, you're afraid of losing their, uh, uh, their positive opinion of you. And here's the deal about a crowd. None of us are immune from it. None of us are immune from having the pressures of other people and the approval of men to distract us from having an audience of one to an audience of 91. There's a dude in scripture named Peter, and he was on Jesus's inner, inner circle. Uh, and Peter uh, did miracles with Jesus. He walked on water. He saw Jesus heal people and raise people from the dead. He had direct teachings from Jesus. Uh, he followed him closely day by day. He saw Jesus resurrected. Jesus appeared to Peter in visions and gave him dreams, exactly how Peter was supposed to conduct ministry. And here we see in a, in a text in Galatians, we see Peter dropping everything because of a crowd. In Galatians 2, 11 through 14, it says, But when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. And this is a man named Paul talking. Because he stood condemned. For he regularly ate with Gentiles before certain men came from James. However, when they came, he withdrew and separated himself because he feared those from the circumcision party. That doesn't sound like a fun party, the circumcision party. But... Then the rest of the Jews joined his hypocrisy, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw this, that they were deviating from the truth of the gospel, I told Peter in front of everyone, bro, if you, live, if you who are a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? Paul is confronting Peter because Paul knew that Peter knew exactly what to do. But the scripture says that because he feared those from the circumcision party, he had a crowd of people that were separating him from obedience to Jesus. And if the man who saw Jesus rise from the dead, walked with Jesus for years, preached the first sermon in the entire church, if he's not immune from the crowd, neither are you. Years ago, when I first became a Christian, based on how much I was wilding out in, in college, uh, I remember walking on to... Uh, the bridge. Um, anybody who's ever been to HBCU, you know there's a yard that everybody hangs out in. Morgan State's campus, shout out to the Bears. Uh, there's this big bridge that everybody who was anybody chills on the bridge. My friend would host a, a big prayer in the, in the yard right in front of the bridge. And every single day at noon, they would gather for a very short period to pray. And after I, be after I had become a Christian, uh, I remember walking to the bridge and seeing people holding hands and praying and being absolutely terrified that anybody would find out that I was a Christian. I didn't want people saying, yo, Jordan is out here praying on the bridge. Jordan, Jordan Rice, the dude that was doing X, Y, and Z just like three weeks ago. 
This Jordan is a dude that's, that's holding hands on a bridge praying. His life is nothing like a life of a Christian. And I was absolutely terrified. One of those days, uh, I finally uh, psyched myself up to it, and I walked to the bridge real slow that day, and palms sweaty, knees weak, arms were heavy. I, I grabbed somebody's head, kind of with one eye open, looking to see if anybody uh, saw me. I had a crowd that was keeping me from actually embracing my faith. Now, I had had a real encounter with Jesus, but I didn't want nobody else to know about it. Here's the crazy thing. Some of those same people who I was afraid of in, the, in that crowd of finding out that I was a Christian, I led them to Jesus. There are some people in your life, certainly not everybody, there are some people in your life that you are downplaying the fact that you're a Christian, for those of you who, who are, because you're afraid of their opinion of you. And those are the people that God is waiting for you to rise up and, and use you to lead them back to a relationship with him. Some of those same people that you are afraid of in your crowd, God is trying to use you to be the reason that they have a tangible expression of faith. For some of you, it's your roommate, it's a, it's a co-worker, it's someone that you're afraid uh, to really come out and tell people that you're a Christian and to live a life where you're not downplaying your faith. For others of us, uh, one of the main reasons that some people in here for sure, I talked to a lot of you, uh, the reason that you haven't gotten baptized yet uh, baptism, which is this public celebration of our placing our faith in Jesus, the reason you haven't uh, gotten baptized yet is you are afraid of the crowd. You're afraid of what people would say if they saw you getting in that water. You're afraid of what those people would say if they saw you a couple of weeks later and you weren't living uh, the absolute pristine, perfect Christian life, and you're letting that crowd keep you from Jesus. Baptism is a beautiful command that is given to us in Scripture that identifies us with the life of Jesus. And baptism doesn't make you a Christian uh, any more than my wedding ring makes me married. And I, wing this, I wear this ring for a number of reasons. One, to identify with Jessica that I'm her husband. And two, because I'm afraid of her and I don't want to take it off. <laughs> Much more number one than number two is, is the reason that I want, to be, I want to be identified with her as her husband. I want people to know that I am extremely proud of that. It's one of the most proud things and honors of my life. Some of you guys have not gotten in that water because you are afraid of the opinions of, of the crowd, especially if you've been a Christian for a little while. You don't want people wondering why now all of a sudden are you getting baptized. September 30th is our next baptism. And I don't want you to let the crowd keep you from following Jesus. Uh, Jesus was baptized not because he needed to repent, but Jesus was baptized at the beginning of his ministry. Maybe your baptism is a baptism of repentance for sure, but also the signifying that you're ready to follow Jesus into wherever he has called you to walk. Uh, the way that we do it here at Renaissance is you sign up on a connection card or a next step card at the info desk, or you can uh, drop that with us and we'll follow up and give you all of the details. But I don't want anyone in here letting the crowd stop them from coming to Jesus uh, because that's going to rob you. It's not just a baptism. That's just one thing. It's going to be everything that follows after that. And Zacchaeus knew that, that if he was going to get to Jesus, he was going to have to get over the crowd. Now, the last thing that we see in this text that is so uh, profound is that if you and I are going to have a real uh, interaction and life-giving relationship with Jesus, we need to allow grace to change us. You need to allow grace to change you. Now, 
Look at the text in verse 5. It says, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down because today it is necessary for me to stay at your house. So he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. All who saw it began to complain. He's going to stay with a sinful man. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor. And, uh, Lord, and if I have extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay it back four times as much. Jesus says to him, today salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. Now, it's easy to read past the scripture too, too quickly and miss out on how the gospel is supposed to take root in your lives. Um, when Jesus comes to Zacchaeus, a man, a known tax collector, a known sinner, and invite himself into Zacchaeus' house, this is what Jesus is screaming at you. This is what Jesus is screaming at me. The gospel message is not that we have invited Jesus in. It's that Jesus has invited himself in. At all points in our life, God is moving towards us. And God is not moving towards you um, with a ledger of your sins. Jesus is moving towards us, and he wants his grace to actually change us. What happens in this text? Does Jesus go to Zacchaeus and say, hey, is your name Zacchaeus? All right, okay, cool. Now tell me what's your plan moving forward. Great, you're going to do this? Great, okay, fine, now I'll come to your house. That's not what happens. It's the opposite. Zacchaeus doesn't change until after Jesus comes to his house. Z Zacchaeus doesn't have any contrition at first. He has no repentance. All he's doing is looking for Jesus. Now, most scholars will say that for Jesus to invite himself into his house uh, was a really intimate thing. For dinner nowadays, it's, if somebody comes to your crib for dinner, um, half of the time you don't even cook. You order something on Seamless. You tell them, hey, I have a hard stop at 9.30. I got to get up for work the next morning. And it's not really always that intimate of a thing. But in ancient culture, for someone to eat dinner with you, this was the event of the day. All things pointed towards evening supper, and they would sit around in close proximity to each other, relaxing with each other, which is why the Pharisees and the religious experts were so angry that Jesus was going to his house. Jesus was not going to conduct a business transaction. Jesus was, was going to lamp up in his crib and, and eat like they were family. This was a conspiracy of grace that was happening, and this is a conspiracy of grace that changed Zacchaeus' life. When he tasted Jesus, when he tasted the real good news of the gospel, that Jesus is the one that moves towards us, not the other way around, he stopped and he said, Lord, if whatever I have done, I'll, I'll undo it. It is the grace that changes him, not the other way around. Too many, of, too many times, our approach to how we are uh, sorry for what we have done or our approach towards growth is human-centered. And here's what uh, incorrect human-centered uh, repentance looks like. It starts with you, and you ask yourself the question, what did I do? So I went astray, I did something I wasn't supposed to do, I didn't do something I was supposed to do, now I feel bad. Then you answer the question, okay, great, then who am I? Well, I'm undisciplined, I lack integrity, I'm a hypocrite. And then, well, what has God done? Actually, I don't feel like he's done a lot. It feels like he's just standing back, waiting for me to fix it. And then who is God? He's detached. He's not loving. He's not engaging. So often we miss out on what it means to truly approach God because we have a human-centered uh, approach towards change. When I say I want the gospel to change us, I, I mean I want it to be like what we see in this text with Zacchaeus, which we flip that order completely. When the first question we ask is, who is God? This is what Zacchaeus got. 
God is the one who comes and invites himself into your crib even when you don't deserve it. Romans 5 and 6, that Jesus died for the, um, that God gave us Jesus. He died for us even when we were ungodly, not for those of us who deserved it. Who is God? God is the one who will pursue you and will invite himself into your crib to the, to, even though other people don't think it's fair because God always is moving towards us. What has God done? God has sent us his son, Jesus. He has sent us his absolute best in his son, Jesus. He has given us Jesus to die for our sins. So then who am I? I'm sought after. I am someone that God loves. I am someone that God pursues. So what should I do? Man, I should turn away from everything in my life that's getting between me and him. If it's money, if it's a relationship, if it's sex, whatever it is, anything getting in between me and this Jesus of grace, I don't want it. Gospel-centered repentance is the thing that's going to actually move you in the right direction. And I think most of us don't get this concept because when we think of the concept of repentance, most of us think about emotion, not motion. So we beat ourselves up and want to feel bad, but you can feel bad, guilty, and still never change. The thing that is going to change you is when you see Jesus coming toward you and pursuing you in such a way that it disarms you to trust every crevice of your life every single aspect of your life to the one who has come and given himself for you. Now, I certainly know in my own life that there are aspects and parts of my life that I just don't want to turn over to Jesus. And I need God's grace to get God's grace. But the same thing that's true for Zacchaeus is true for us. As Jesus says in, John, uh, in, in Revelation excuse me, 3 and 20, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock, and if anybody comes, opens the door, I'm going to come in, I'm going to eat with you. I'm not going to come in with a legal pad on and, and, and give you uh, and, and pull out a Google Doc and tell you the path forward. I'm going to come and I'm going to eat with you. We're going to share a meal together as family. And you're going to change. Trust me, you're going to change. But it's not because you feel bad. It's going to be because you have tasted my kindness. Paul says this very thing explicitly in the book of Romans. He says, do you despise the riches of his kindness, restraint, and patience? not recognizing that it is God's kindness that is intended to lead you to repentance. God's kindness. In your life, right now, Jesus is moving toward you. What are we going to do with that? The first thing I hope that we do is that I hope, even the things in our hand that we're keeping from Jesus, I hope that we pray the prayer, God, help me to let go of whatever thing in my life that is not for me. Help me to let go of anything, any pursuit that I have that's going to take me away from you. Now, this week, I want you to do three things. I want you to pray that God will, one, show you your need for him. Pray that prayer from Psalms. Lord, search me and seek me. Search me, Lord, and show me if anything is inside of me, any wicked way in me, and then lead me in the way everlasting. And I want you to pray for God's grace to get over your crowd. And number three, I want us to allow God's grace to change us. Let me pray for us. Uh, Heavenly Father, um, it is your kindness that leads us to repentance, and I pray that we see you moving toward us, uh, that's calling us to let go of certain things and to do certain things. And God, I hope that we know that we are not ever called to do this thing alone. You are with us. As you have promised the disciples, you are with us to the very end of the age. So God, would you uh, encourage us and allow your grace to change us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.